is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Chris McCarthy. As I said, uh, Marcus Farrow is uh, on vacation. He's, he went to a wedding this weekend. But he'll be back on Monday. Okay? He'll be back on Monday. For those of you who love Marcus like I do, he'll be here on Monday. Okay. So, in the past, I've interviewed Maureen Boyle um, about her book, her work on the New Bedford Highway Killer. The New Bedford Serial Killer case, the book is Shallow Graves. I know many of you have bought the book and have, have read the book or have given the book away as well as I have, right? I mean, it's a fascinating read. It's fascinating because it happened all around us. And it's still out there. It's still never been solved. Now, if you look at, at there's a lot of cases around the country that are getting solved. We just had a case of a, of a girl who was murdered, a young girl, like 13, something like that, in Massachusetts. And it turns out it was, it was a corrections officer who murdered her. And they, event, they, they, they got a DNA match. Uh, you know, they, they thought the case was never going to be solved. The guy's sitting in a jail cell right now. To, he's not convicted yet, but um, it's likely he will be convicted with DNA evidence. So this case can still be solved. And there's some of you who know things. There's still active investigations going on. Um, the district attorney's office is still very interested in the case. That, that's one book. The other book, and I think we're going to start out with that, is The Ghost. This book came out while I was sick. Otherwise, you would have heard all about it already. <laughs> um, maybe some of you have read it already, but it's a fascinating book. There's still a lot of summer left. I suggest you pick this book up. All right, It's called The Ghost by Maureen Boyle. It's about the murder of police chief Greg Adams and the hunt for his killer. Now, Chief Greg Adams was a very young guy. He was killed. He was a Pennsylvania chief of police. And he was killed by a guy. Can we say allegedly? No, we don't have to say allegedly because no, he, he did it. Yeah, he did it. There's no doubt. It's out in that. All right. We have Maureen joining us here. There's no doubt about it. And he can't sue us anyway. So yeah. <laughs> I guess as a state could. But um, So Greg Adams was a chief of police in Saxonburg, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Tell us what happened, Maureen. Um, it was a couple of weeks before, <clears throat> excuse me, before Christmas. What year? Uh, 1980. Uh, it was uh, roughly around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, Chief at Saxonburg is almost like a like a fairy, fairy book, uh, book place. Okay. It is just absolutely lovely, tiny town. Okay. Uh, if you can imagine a tourist town where people actually live there oh, really uh, and that's that's saxonburg when okay. you when you go to the downtown it's really rich in history um and the people there are really lovely right uh chief uh adams had left the police station he had gone first stopped up in court the court was in the same building as the police station right um and he maybe about a half hour later uh about a block and a half away from the police station, uh, 
he pulled over a vehicle uh, in an Agway uh, parking lot. Okay. Why he pulled him over is open to speculation. Uh, it's believed that he may have pulled him over for running a stop sign, okay. one of the few stop signs in downtown Saxonburg. Right. Uh, the chief was known to hang around that area there because people would come down a hill and speed go over the 25, 20 mile an hour speed limit, maybe by about five miles and he could ticket them. Okay. So, or maybe he, uh, you know, blew the stop sign, but the person that was driving, it was, it was a vehicle that he was not familiar with. Okay. So he pulled him over. And this is a small town. Very small town. Okay. Very, very small town. When I say everyone knows everyone, everyone knows everyone right. there. Like a free town. Uh, yes. Like Freetown. Okay. I would imagine Freetown with a uh, <clears throat> with a a really storybook downtown. Okay. Um, I said fairy book, but it's really storybook. Sure, sure, I get it. Uh, yep, I get it. It's and it's so, just before Christmas. Yeah, right before Christmas. There's snow on the ground. There's snow on the ground. Right. Uh, his family. He had two small children. One was a couple months old. One of them was a toddler. The uh, they're debating whether to go to Maryland to visit his in-laws for Christmas, what they were going to do. Um, and he had moved to Saxonburg from the D.C. area where he had been a police officer. And he moved to Saxonburg because he's from was from Pennsylvania. And he thought the D.C. area was too dangerous, sure. especially being a police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, he knew people who had been shot. He knew one person on the force who had been killed. So he moved back home right. for less money, got married, um, but it was a wonderful area to raise a family. Right. So he pulls over this vehicle. Um, he made one major error, and that was not calling it in. He, he didn't call in the license plate. No, he did not call in the license plate. Now, this is 1980, so technology is a lot different. You no, know, much, much different. Much different. We got to keep that in mind. Yeah. Now, it you know today, uh, police officers have computers in the uh, in the cruisers. Right. So th- the normal routine is you you know pull over a car there's, there's cameras in the car right uh, and you know you plug plug in the plate before they even get out of the vehicle right completely different type of situation then in in 1980 uh in most uh departments and especially very small departments sure. they would have to call not their local dispatcher they'd have to call the state police and then right. the state police would have to look it up and it was not unusual for some departments not to look up a, a a plate number when they pull them over. Sure, and sure. he did not. So the chief did not do that. Okay. Uh, whether he would have known at that point if he had done that, uh, would he have known that the man behind the wheel was wanted in New York for skipping out on bail? Um, probably not. Right. Because of the way things were um, in 1980. Absolutely. Uh, the man that was driving was using um, a uh, alias on his license. And that was a time when there wasn't uh, an, a picture ID for his particular license. Really? Yeah. I mean, there was... Yeah, in 1980, there, there, a lot of them did not. Because I remember... And I'm dating myself. Sure. Uh, it used to be a time, and there are some of your listeners will probably remember that uh, if you were underage, you could always um, 
easily change your uh, date of birth oh, with I, with uh, just erasing it. Absolutely. Not that I ever did that. I, <laughs> I never can remember did that, making but, fake IDs in the, in the late 80s. Yeah. We, we, in the early 90s, you just used a piece of tape. There was a way to do it. Yeah. But it hard. Th- this was... Uh, as simple as just using an eraser. Yeah. And this <laughs> guy a, driving is a, is a professional criminal. He's a professional criminal. Changing was, an ID is nothing to him. No, nothing at all. Uh, but he was wanted. Right. Uh, however, under the alias he was using, uh, the, the chief, it would have come, come back as nothing. Right. And that's what makes it all so sad. Right. Um, the, the theory is that the chief, well, what happened after he was stopped... Uh, is somehow there was a struggle ensued um, and the chief was viciously beaten uh, and eventually shot. Uh, One of the neighbors, uh, a teenage boy who was home from school, he was sick, heard someone, uh, first he heard a, a banging and then he heard someone crying, help me, help me. And he and his mother went out and found the chief uh, covered in blood. In the snow. In the snow. A elderly woman who lived across the way uh, had seen the car leave the scene. And that, that's why they had a, a description of it. A couple of uh, the next morning, when they did a more a thorough search of the area, they found the driver's license of the suspect in the snow. And who was the suspect? Uh, the suspect was, the last name was Portis. Uh, and it came back to a, it was, uh, to a man in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. They, through a series of phone calls, uh, they discovered that that was the alias used by uh, a man named Donald Webb. That was the name of his wife's dead husband. So he was using his... Uh, the alias of his wife's dead husband. Right. So the, uh, Donald Webb drives off um, in rural Pennsylvania and is never seen again. Right. Drives off that day. The police drives chief off. is dead. And and the, the uh, state police in the area, they all just circled the area. Mm-hmm. Now, this is, a, this is the era, era be, before GPS. Okay where you had to use maps to right. to get around. Right. And when I said this is rural Pennsylvania, it is imagine if imagine 1980 80s 1970s driving around Freetown if you're not from Freetown. Right. Right. You could e- easily get lost in the dark because right. remember in December it's getting dark early. That's right. If you're in Rochester, right. trust me I've gotten lost in uh, Rochester when I first moved to this area. <laughs> right. You know there's no landmarks of no pine land, trees, yes, right? Yes, and that that's now. What, was what going part on. of Pennsylvania is this? This what's is it near? It, what's it close to? It's, uh, it's no. about 45 minutes from uh, uh, Pittsburgh. Okay, so what? So we're talking western, right. uh, slightly north uh, western Pennsylvania. It's uh, Butler is the big city. Okay, and what do we believe Mr. Webb was doing out they, there? They believe that he was uh, scouting out. Uh, some of the jewelry stores because he and his crew who were from the the greater fall river area and they were dubbed the quote-unquote fall river gang which i thought was just so unimaginative right Uh, and now 
I, I suspect it's the police who dubbed them the Fall River Gang. Right. <laughs> right. A, I mean, you know, come, come on, guys. We could we could have come up with something better than that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the uh, they were um, hitting up a lot of the um, jewelry stores in the area. Okay. They would someone would go in, scope it out, uh, and then after it closed. Uh, part of the crew and they're very uh, police officers uh, from that time have told me that they were very good at what they did okay. i mean they were they were pros um and you know they would cut holes in ceilings i mean it was the things that you would see in tv right that's, that's the what, tv and, and movies that we're speaking with maureen boyle the author of the book the ghost which i can't recommend enough i go pick it up the ghost which which we're going to talk more about it tonight the um that's what I thought of, Maureen, in your yeah. book, is that these guys are like the movie, um, uh, The Heat, for the Heat, yes. with, right? where they're cutting holes in walls or they're going down through the ceiling yeah. and they're, they're, robbing Burke, they're, rob, they're robbing jewelry stores, precious metal, things like that, right? Exactly. And, you know, it's, they were craftsmen, you know, criminal craftsmen <laughs> right. is the best way to describe right. it. Right. Um, arch criminal, arch criminal, <laughs> right? right. <laughs> Except they often got caught. Yes. So that's... You know, they were really good at what they did, except they really weren't. The cops were better sometimes. Yes. Right. Now, there was a a jewelry store, family-run jewelry store that was uh, in uh, downtown Saxonburg. And it was a a very unique setup there. Uh, One uh, one story. And the family lived in the back of the store. Okay. And it's believed that they were looking at that jewelry store and all i could think of is if they had done that what would have happened when they were confronted right um would the family have been uh attacked um although in that part of pennsylvania everyone has a gun right so uh you know it could have but so did mr webb so did mr webb he was from what i understand he was the only one of the crew that would carry a gun okay uh, which was and he had been in prison before he'd been in prison before had a long criminal uh record uh, including for attempted ba- bank robbery um uh, in boston they they got caught very quickly he got caught the um so he'd been in prison and he was committed to not go back mm-hmm. he did not want to go back to jail that, that was the theory that he did not want to go back and he killed the chief of police he c- killed the chief of police um I talked to, for the book, I talked to the uh, pol- the police officers and the EMT, the fire EMTs. Uh, they were all volunteer on the ambulance uh, and what it was like when they got to the scene and how they drove them to the, um, to the hospital. I want people to understand that the family of Mr. Webb, the murderer, are still very much around. Yes. They yes. live in this area. Yep. His wife, who plays a big part in this story. She's still alive. Yeah, she's still alive. His son, who plays a big part in the uh, story. Stepson. His stepson. stepson. Yeah. He's still around. Yep. People know them. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that is, when I went to Saxonburg, I went to Saxonburg several times, and the people in the community were just really upset uh, with people in our region right. here, uh, because they had to live with this murder. Uh for decades and they knew they couldn't put it behind them right 
Nor should they. Yeah. And it's a the, murdered police yeah. officer. But, you know, what, what's also really sad and really horrifying is that the first responders to the scene knew that they would have to eventually testify once Webb was caught. Okay. They didn't think it would take, you know, decades. Right. Um, so they knew that they had to keep this, their memory very fresh of what happened that day. So they remember what happened and the horror mm -hmm. of driving the chief in the back of the, who is in the back of the ambulance as they're tending to him, saying to him, you know, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on there. And the chief saying, you know, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. And they're, you know, asking him, you know, who was it? Who was it? Uh, and he's, I don't know. You didn't know the guy. Didn't know the guy. A complete stranger. Right. And there was no reason why the chief should have been shot. Right. Um, but, but that murder and the aftermath of it still haunts those that were with him in those in his dying moments. Um, and when you listen to them, t t you know, tell what happened, it really will send chills uh, down your spine. They real, it really will. It was just so horrifying, is a way to describe it. And you got to know his widow. Uh, yes, I, I, I uh, interviewed her several times. Lovely woman, very strong. Strong, woman. right? Very, that very comes strong. from the book. Yeah, very and she strong. plays a major role in getting this done. Yes. She plays a major role. We're speaking with Maureen Boyle, the author of The Ghost. Um, it's a fascinating story about a murder. There wasn't a mystery, but where did the guy go? He came back to New Bedford. We're going to learn more about okay. that when we come back. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to South Coast Tonight. I'm Chris McCarthy. We have Maureen Boyle, the author of The Ghost. We'll be right back. Back to the show. I'm Chris McCarthy. This is South Coast Tonight. We're interviewing our friend Maureen Boyle, the author of The Ghost, the author of Shallow Graves, which is about the New Bedford Highway Killer. We'll, we'll, we'll move on to the Highway Killer in a little bit, but still, I want to talk about The Ghost, not just because I'm in the book. <laughs> you have to get to the end to find me, but the... Um, and the entire crew here. The entire crew here it, at WBSM. It was amazing, the, the work that you guys did on the uh, on the case. It, it was... It, this, this case, I have been... Obsessed, but um, focused on this case since I was a little kid, because every year the America's Most Wanted list would get posted, right? And there was nobody from this area, and it would be a, it would say Donald Webb. He was still on the America's Most Wanted, FBI's Most Wanted list, and I would say to my dad, "Dad, this guy's from New Bedford, right?" And my father would go, "Chris, he's not from really from the area. He's not really a New Bedford guy, you know. You know, it's not really a, this type. You know, he just kind of blew it off. I don't think you want to discuss some murder with me. Right? I was like, yeah. you know, eight years old, whatever. Probably shouldn't have been reading the paper, but so." This case always fascinated me. And the guy kills the chief of police. He's part of a burglary crew. They're going up and down the Northeast, breaking into places. They've successfully been caught a few times. He then gets pulled over in this town of Saxonburg, a little little town like Freetown. He kills the cop. The, the, the police chief is dead. Police chief didn't go out with a fight, though, right? Oh, he... he what did he do to Webb? He was, now at the time, uh, they believed that Webb was shot because of the amount of blood at the scene. Um, and there was a little bit of a twist that comes at the end of, of what actually happened to right. him. But he was really, now the, the chief was very, very skinny. Okay. But he was tough. He was a martial artist? Martial artist, and he 
really just went down fighting. Mm-hmm. And I believe he, he bit Webb, right? He, he bit. They believe that he, that he bit him. He uh, punched him. He kicked him. There was a substantial amount of of Webb's blood um, at the at, in the car and at the scene. Right. Uh, when I say in the in the car, eventually they did uh, find. Where, where the, did they find the car? In Rhode Island. In Rhode Island. Next to a Howard Johnson. So he, he speeds away from the scene. Yep. Again, there's no cameras, none of that back none then. Of that. We're talking 1980, guys. He, he, t- he takes off. Now, to, it takes over 10 hours to go from Saxonburg to uh, this area. Don't you know it? Oh, I know it. I know every <laughs> single... Um, and. And the roads weren't as good as they are today. Right, right, <laughs> so, right. So it, it took a while uh, for him to uh, to get from from there to here, and plus he was injured. Right, and that so that that also makes people wonder, even to this day, did he have help? Um, you know, how did he manage to drive uh, from there uh, to to here? But he he left Saxonburg and then seemed to vanish. And the state police circled the area there. Right. There was a lot of state troopers around there. The barracks was not was maybe twenty minutes away, uh, and anyone who was off duty became on duty. Right, they you had get to cross the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, right. and yeah, and to cross the state of Pennsylvania, it's a long way. <laughs> Don't you know? <laughs> right, ten hours. Ten hours. The guy's severely injured. Yeah, and is um, and he abandoned. He, he leaves the car. In, well, the car is found. The in car is Rhode, found. Right. Is found in uh, Warwick uh, by the Howard Johnsons. Where do, where does Webb end up? From Howard Johnsons, where does he end up? We don't know. We don't know. They had no idea where where he wound up right. until much until decades later. Decades later. But where did you find? Where do we find out he did end up? Toby he, Hospital, right? That's where it believes that he. That's where they up. believe you went to Toby yep. Hospital. Yep. The world is looking for a, for a murderer right now. And he's in Toby. Yes. He's in Toby Hospital. Yep. But everyone is looking for a gunshot wound victim. But he's not. He doesn't have a gunshot wound. No. So they're looking for a gunshot wound guy because there's so much blood. Because mm-hmm. the chief went out with a fight. Right? He went yeah. out with a fight. And, and everyone's... So they're, they're calling all the hospitals looking for a gunshot wound victim. Uh, and, of course, so as a result, they're thinking, well, maybe there's a mob doctor out there that treated him. Right. And it wasn't, that wasn't necessarily the case. He ends up in the hospital. The FBI comes in on the case. Yes. Because the cop, the police chief dies. Yep. Well, the, the FBI was on the case from the start. Okay. The, what's interesting in Pennsylvania at that time, the FBI and the state police worked very closely together. They were, people were friends. Mm-hmm. Um, they grew up together. They, you know, they they know each other. Sure. Uh, they socialize. It's a fraternity. Yeah. The, uh, as a matter of fact, one of the prime investigators in the state police on the case back then, his best friend was the FBI agent who was a lead, one of the lead agents uh, on the case in Pennsylvania. And now that they're retired, they're still working together as PIs. So when do they realize southeastern Massachusetts is their target? When they... Uh, are looking at the um, driver's license. It's a Massachusetts driver's license. Right. Uh, they also uh, called, uh, made a call out to uh, all the troopers to check all of the local um, 
hotels and motels. Okay. And they discovered that there was, in one instance, and you have to say, and you can use your own descriptions um, because it'll be inappropriate for me to say it on the air. Okay. <laughs> but this guy definitely had them. He stalls out, he locks his keys in his car, um, and it is running. This is before the murder. Okay. Uh, so he then stalls it out and calls the state police to ask for help in getting his key uh, his keys out of the the vehicle. Okay. No, he didn't because he had to. He lost his keys. Lost his keys. Lost his keys. That's right. They had to go lost, to the dealership. They, he lost his keys, and they took him to they, a dealership. They, they right? took him to a dealership. So they. Uh, Back then, you could just get a key. You can get a key. That well, the they dealer the dealer called the the place in Taunton, Massachusetts. Right. The dealer in Taunton, Massachusetts, uh, where the car was rented from, and got a key. Right. Got the key, um, and then he went on his merry way. Donald Webb, the next day when he checked out, bought a bottle of scotch, and. Brought it to the barracks and left it there for the trooper to, and to, said to the guy on the desk, hey, tell him thank you very much. Right. Thank him for my, you know, all your help. Although the story that troopers now say is, well, of course they poured it out. Right. <laughs> right. They didn't <laughs> drink it. They didn't drink it. But oh, this, no. At this point, they but had no idea that, no, that no, he was going to be involved in the murder, no. obviously. And they had no idea that he was also. He was already it, wanted. Yeah, he was right. already wanted. And he was uh, robbing all of these jewelry stores. Right, right, right. He had, as you say, cojones, mm -hmm. right? He, he just... You said it. Right, I said it. I said it. I would have used more colorful language. Right, right. <laughs> but we have a license. Yeah. So, so he he has contact with the local police. He has contact with the local police. So they realize they've may, maybe seen this guy. Yes. Well, because they also... He was using the fake name... Mm -hmm. And they recognize the fake name when the APB went out on him. So they then start looking around this area. Now he, he brings the he does he, the car is found in Warwick, but who who got to the car? Well, the well, we'll, we'll back up a sure, bit. The sure. way they they were able to absolutely positively determine that yes, this was Donald Webb, right? Was they didn't know that it was Webb. They were using going. They were the APB was on the um, alias, right? But they it came back to uh, Massachusetts mm -hmm. because of a check. Okay, that was uh, that was uh, sent to Webb's wife as a deposit on a rental car. And this was back in the day, and a number of people may remember when you got your checks from your your checks came back. The actual checks came back to you, right? So that you could see the front and the back. That's right. And the car rental place still had the check. And when they looked to see who it was endorsed to, to and where it was deposited, that's when they were able to firmly link. Um, the suspect to the to New Bedford.
So, and, and, and this is all in the book, The Ghost by Maureen Boyle, the book, the book, The Ghost. I recommend you pick it up and get it on Amazon and get a local bookstore. A lot of police work done in this, right? Oh, a lot of legwork, a uh, lot of legwork. Yeah, a lot of the, the uh, Pennsylvania troopers came up here to, to Massachusetts in December and were following um, Webb's wife, uh, who had been tipped off that they were looking for him for it, murder. It's a scene in the book, folks, that, that's going to make you angry. Yes. Right, it's going to make you angry. There is um, my friend Casey Tebow, your friend Casey Tebow, yep. uh, the movie maker. He read the book, and he said to me right after he read the book, he was infuriated, yeah. right? As you are, too, when you're reading the book, at the mistakes that were made, the, the things that were overlooked. Um, and again, hindsight's, you know, twenty twenty. It's easy for all of us you know, who, who weren't alive at that time or chasing the case or to say, oh, why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do well, the fact is there, a lot of, there were some missed opportunities, yes. right? Yeah, and uh, one uh, FBI agent who, you know, privately, who investigated way back when said, you know, I wish we just, you know, kicked in the the door. It's like, yeah, but you didn't have a warrant. And you know what? And that's what people don't realize. There's certain things that legally law enforcement cannot do. Right. Um, They can chase a fleeing felon, but they have to know that the person fled into a place and they've got to be actually chasing them just because you think someone might be someplace uh, isn't enough to secure a warrant or to kick in the door and search a place so you talk about kicking in a door let's explain that his wife Mm -hmm. she's working in a local place she's a a hostess right yes she's well known she's um got a lot of friends including some in law enforcement yes Someone pops into the restaurant she's working at. What happens? Yeah, there was a uh, Pennsylvania State Trooper who is. When the troopers came up here, they were paired with uh, Massachusetts troopers uh, to work together because this, the Pennsylvania troopers they didn't know where they are. Sure. They don't know the streets. They don't know the people. Right. Um, they were staying in Fairhaven, um, right across the bridge. Right. And um, they they go into a, a local uh, business in the south end of New Bedford. It was a pizza place right. at the time. And uh, they had earlier had a meeting at the DA's office talking about the case. And the trooper goes in with the Massachusetts trooper. trooper they're going in there to talk to um, Webb's wife. And they see her there. And she's talking to someone from the... Massachusetts State Police, who was not working the case, who was in charge of the uh, State Police unit at the time. Okay. Uh, and that was a person who told her that they were looking for Webb. Um, and, and now she knew. Yeah, but she, and she knew that right from the start. And why did she know that? Because he told her. He told her. He told her. Um, and they were, I know the FBI were absolutely, were quite upset. Right. Uh, you know, fill in the the four letter words right. there. Fill in the adjectives. You yes. have a dead cop, yeah. and, and someone's talking. Yeah, who is saying, "Hey, you know, uh, he's wanted for murder." Right. And at that point, he didn't know that the chief was dead. Right. That's so, right. So, and where is Webb at this point? Uh, Webb is uh, in Wareham. He's at Toby Hospital. He's at Toby Hospital. So even if they had kicked in the door to her house, right? He was. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. But he goes home. Mm-hmm. Now, 
While this is going on, Donna Webb's stepson, Stanley Webb, what's he do for a job at this time? He was a New Bedford cop. And let, me, let me just go back on that for a second. This guy is out there. It's his stepson, not his son. His yeah, stepson. stepson. He's wanted for murder. Uh, the, Donald Webb is. Donald not, Webb it's is not the stepson. No, no, no. It, it, it all plays out in the book, but the uh, the stepson, Stanley Webb, works where? Where is he employed? New Bedford Police. So as the New Bedford cops are being told at roll call to be on the look for th this guy, so is uh, Stanley is also there. And the, they, the guy standing at roll call with him, it's his stepfather. Yeah. And they all knew that. They all knew They it. all knew that. And, and he had a side business anyway, didn't he? That was the rumor that right. he was, um, that he had some other issues. Right. And that maybe he was a little more involved with the stepfather than, than the police would have liked. Um, I, I think because of what the stepfather did that did lead to some um, members of law enforcement to be a little bit uncomfortable. Right. Because this guy, Webb, in, before he ever murdered the police officer, was a professional criminal. Yeah. He was involved with illegal gambling. He had gambling machines, right? The uh, the father? The father. The stepfather, yeah. Right. And he had, he'd been... You know, working on the outskirts of the of the Rhode Island mob. You know, he's was not you know a made guy or anything right. like this. He, he was what they call a good earner, though, right? Yes. He went and that's stole things and, and sold them to the patriotic yeah. crime family. Yes. As we that's what we understand. Yes, and you know, and and he would he would always he always had something going on. Right. You know, early early on in his life. The I mean, he spent most of his his time. Ex Prior to 1980, a good chunk of it in prison. Right, right. And he, and he was originally from Oklahoma, right? Yes, Oklahoma. Very sad type very of Very sad. Oh, my Lord. You, you, you put it in the storybook. You know, you don't want to feel bad for this guy, but boy, you can't help it how his childhood was. Yep. And, you know, and, and it, one of the reasons why I think it's important that you look at the roots of uh, criminals, not to glorify them, but to get a good look at how does someone become a criminal. Right. How did they get to that point? And, you know, there's a lot of people who have, you know, really hard lives and they go, they don't go down a criminal path. Um, and you, you have to ask why, what was the turning point? And he, because his, he had a brother right. who uh, moved to California, was uh, a, very successful in his life, was right. good in school. Right. Um, you know, you have two two individuals one goes one way one goes the other um it, and it um we're, we're speaking with maureen boyle the author of the ghost we're going to continue we're going to when we get come back from the commercial break we're going to find out the the um what happens to donald webb what he's now on the fbi's most wanted list all right everybody in the country is supposed to be looking for this web for this character right and it's going to stun you to find out where he was if you don't already know 508-996-0500 we get when we get back we'll continue with this story and of course the next hour we'll talk more about the new Bedford highway serial killer case we'll talk about maureen's uh, book shallow graves about the new Bedford highway killer boat we're going to take a quick break we'll speak with maureen boyle the author of the ghost the ghost we'll be right back
Listen to us live. Chris McCarthy will be here till 10 o'clock tonight on South Coast Tonight. Marcus is not here. He's at a wedding. He'll be back on Monday. We'll be back to normal on Monday. We have Maureen Boyle in here, the author of The Ghost and the author of Shallow Graves, which is about the New Bedford Highway Killer. We're talking about the case of Donald Webb and the murder of a police chief and the fact that he had lived in this area for a long time and now he's on America's most wanted list, the FBI list. Maureen, he gets out of the hospital. Where do, where do we believe he goes next? Onset. Onset. He found a small place to live near the beach. Um, it's, you know, speculate, speculative exactly where he was, but those of us that are familiar with Onset, you look at a couple of the places and you can see if it was a rooming house. There's only about two or three places that it most likely was. Okay. So he stayed there for a while. And he's severely injured. Yes, severely injured. He's going to do- he's going to doctors. Right. Um, and but he doesn't have a gunshot wound, of course. Right. Um, his wife will would occasionally go visit him, but she was also very very careful to make sure that uh, she wasn't being followed because the police were following her. She, as you describe in this book, she um, is very cognizant of surveillance. She is. Um, Able to able to to um, escape surveillance in some yes. places, right? Uh, she was very much aware of uh, who was uh, tailing her, which might say something about <laughs> whoever was was following her. Right. They had to sort of up their game um, because she was better than they were. She was better than they were. Yes, um, and she would take evasive uh, measures. Right. Um, if she knew that someone was following her, she would just go back home um, and and stay there and not go to go to see him wherever he was staying um and if she knew that she wasn't being followed then she would go to visit him but she was very very careful and eventually he moves where he eventually he moves in with her um and where in new bedford on hawthorne street yes hawthorne street yep (laughs) Not some out-of-the-way place. No, no. Living on one of the main drags in New Bedford. Yes. Right by the hospital, around the right in the, in the political center. Yes. His neighbors are district attorneys. Yes. Literally right next door is an assistant district attorney. Literally right next door. His wife's in the book. I happen yep. to know it because I know him, but he's retired obviously now. But literally right next door to an assistant district attorney. Yep. Um, but they were very. We don't know our neighbors these days. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, but, but the neighbors though were pretty. Uh, they were nosy. on top of it, right? Yeah. They were. But they never saw him. Never saw because him. Because they made, you know, they were very, very careful. Uh, Webb was very careful, um, and the the theory is that his wife would sneak him out of the house. Um, she at one point had told authorities, you know, years later that uh, he would sometimes uh, leave for long periods of time. Uh, but she didn't know where he went. Right. Uh, so there was some speculation. Did he did he have another family out there? Or was he just, you know, doing jobs? Right. When illegal they, jobs. Illegal jobs, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, he wasn't working at Walmart. He, yeah. He was, he, because um, he, was he, was he was a criminal. That's a what criminal. he did. Yeah. That's what he did. And he... Uh, you, you have a lot about his, some of his criminal associates. The police at one point, they think that one of his associates knows where he might be, right? 
Yes. And they begin to track him down and try yep. to get him to talk. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of the associates. And right. uh, one of them, uh, early on, they tracked him down in prison. And he comes in, sees them, and tells them to, you know, F you, and turns around and let, leaves. Uh, and th- there was a lot of that going on. There was another associate who uh, law enforcement had used as a source in the past who was somewhat helpful, uh, but not really all that helpful. Right. Uh, his information sometimes was good, sometimes it wasn't good. I mean, they, they looked every everywhere around uh, the area, including in Canada for him. They went up to Canada, they had good information, or they thought was good information that he was in Canada. Uh, teams of investigators went up there, st- state police from the two states, and the FBI, and uh, they get up to Canada, and of course, Canada authorities say, "Yeah, you wait here. We will handle it. This right. is our country, not yours." Um, and by the time they did sort of track down where he might be, um, there was a, a Fall River detective who had curried one particular source and had brought him up there, and the web never showed up. Do we believe he was ever in Canada? He might have been. Might have been. He might have been. Um, but it's it's one of those, was he or wasn't he? Right. You know, there was another case where they believed that he was going to be in a, uh, on the Cape mm-hmm. and um, for a party. And he uh, they had everything staked out and a car pulled up that where they believed that he was in it. And a local cop pulls up behind the vehicle and the driver got spooked and you know circled around and he by the time they stopped the car Webb was not in the vehicle so then eventually things settle down yes right things settle down his wife moves from new bedford to dartmouth yes into a lovely neighborhood you know it looks like the brady bunch uh, it does it really it, does you know this is you know, 1970s houses, a really lovely neighborhood, um, and it's a, a lovely house. Um, what's interesting about it is that it has a garage that you really don't see vehicles coming in and out. You can't see into the garage. You know, you just pull out right. and turn. Um and it was very difficult for them to watch the house, particularly to see in through the garage area. Um, but they, she moved there and lived kind of quietly, kept to herself. Um, and they kept up surveillance on the house on and off because over the years it was very difficult to get the, the funding right. to watch it 24-7 any, any longer because no one had any information that he was there. Right. They didn't know where it was. No. Had no idea where uh, a police would go to her house, knock, knock, knock. Um, she would, you know, say she didn't know where he was. She had a mob lawyer. Yes. Who was her lawyer? Um, Cicilline. Cicilline, yes. Cicilline, um, a very accomplished mob lawyer. Oh, yeah. Very, very accomplished. And he eventually was able to negotiate uh, the closure of the case. So at the beginning of the story, we we meet the widow. And obviously the tragedy that, that's her life, her husband's murdered. She never gives up the fight. No. She never gives up the fight. 
with all the FBI resource, all of this, how did she really figure in the end to, to discover where Webb was? Well, the there was a, a, a youngish FBI agent uh, who took over the case from one of his colleagues. Uh, this uh, agent, the, the first agent was Phil Torsney. Uh, he was really obsessed by the case since he started on the FBI because he really wanted to catch a someone who was on the uh, top uh, ten top uh, wanted. And he convinced uh, Tommy McDonald when he was getting ready to retire, you got to take on this case. You got to take on this case. And he had been on the Bulger Task Force. Yes, he had been on right. the Bulger Task Force, and uh, he had also been one of the key FBI agents who helped solve and identify the killer of um, a six-year-old New York City boy who went missing. Right. Uh, and that was, in that case, way back when, really spurred the missing persons, the missing child uh, movement. Right. So he helped close that case. Um, he's a very modest uh, investigator, and he'll say, no, no, I, it was a team effort. Right. Um, he's very good at sharing credit mm -hmm. um, so he gets involved in the case and he, and he was out of what office he was uh fbi and he his office was in maine maine he was not maine. boston no well he he, he had been right no he was officially the way the fbi works right. it's the main office is part of the boston office just like Lakeville comes under Boston. Right. Okay. So he asked his boss, can I work this case? Even though it's out of Lakeville, uh, he checks with the people in Lakeville to make sure that he's not stepping on any toes there and asking, you know, would you want to help, help me on this case? Right. So he basically, they're like, Hey, go at it. Sure. Sure. So he does. It's a uh, real cold case at this point. Very much a cold case. So he goes to uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, he makes a, number of calls mm -hmm. uh, checking with a retired FBI agents and goes to Pennsylvania because his mindset always is that the the most important thing is to show up show your face be there prove that you are really committed to the case okay so he goes to Saxonburg and talks with the state troopers uh, who were then in charge talk to some of the retired troopers um, and the, the current uh, chief of police there. And um, he looks at the different areas, uh, gets some of the agents down there to do some other uh, work for him, and meets with, uh, talks with the, the chief's uh, widow, right. and gets some photos. Mm -hmm. He's trying to look at different ways to um, catch Webb. Right. Um, and because of his work in the Whitey Bulger case, um, he discovered through that case what works and what doesn't, how to look outside the box. Right. And with the Bulger case, it was photographs. Um, That's right. The photographs of Bulger's uh, girlfriend right. is what really broke the case. So he was looking for first getting photos of the uh, the chief and his young family to bring to um, Webb's wife to see, you know, here's a this lovely family. Right. Look, uh, right. Because he sick. really believes the wife knows what's up. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and, you know, she is saying she doesn't know. She doesn't know anything. Uh, and then he started to think more about the photos. And they obtained a, a search warrant for her house mm-hmm. uh, for photos to get more up-to-date photos of Webb. Okay. And the thing with a search warrant for photos, you can look everywhere. Okay. Because photos are small. That's right. You, That's can, right. you can look under a bed. You can look uh, in a closet. You can look in a drawer. You can look under a drawer. Right. There's a lot of places there. That's very and, interesting, right? Yeah. We're speaking with Maureen Boyle, the author of The Ghost, which is available at Amazon.com and all the local bookstores, The Ghost. And so now they have the search warrant. They get into Webb's house, oh, to Mrs. Webb's house, right? Yes. And uh, they obtain a number of photos, including a, they take a picture of a painting, uh, a painting of a photo of her and, and him. And, it, of course, it, the agent, Tommy McDonald, asks her, well, is that... Donald there and she said uh, no that's not Donald and later she said no that was a picture of Donald that wasn't Donald right. I wasn't lying right <laughs> so so she she is a, um, she's a very active, smart right. very smart woman acting know? like a suspect though <laughs>